Very cool. That is what Multiply is about. It's about multiplying the impact that we get to be a part of. And, and I got to talk to Scott a little bit this morning as Scott is in Uganda. And, and here's the reality. One of the things that Scott told me, he said, Drew, um, am I allowed to tell you that they do this whole joyful community church thing way better than we do? I'm like, absolutely, that's why you're there, right? And we've got this partnership that, that's starting to evolve between us and this church in Uganda. In fact, this church in Uganda has planted 10 churches over the last nine years. We've got some catch-up to do, right, church? We're not competitive, though, right? <laughs> 10 churches in that. He says, Drew, they are living hope. They're living hope. And, and it's rooted, this foundation of their living hope is this eternal inheritance that we talked about last week in 1 Peter chapter 1. That we, we are chosen and loved by God, and he gives us this eternal inheritance. And these people in Uganda who have very little, they understand that actually in Jesus, they have much. They have living hope. In fact, Scott and I were texting this morning. Here's a video from just recently with Pastor Cyprian in one of the villages. So, Hello, Vintage Grace. We're here in Uganda with Cyprian and Margaret Masembi. Yeah, we yeah. are. Most grateful to you, Vintage Grace, for sending to us, sending out to us a team uh, to come and visit with us and uh, actually facilitate our Bible Institute training. We are most grateful, and uh, we've had a great first day with uh, the members of the team. We've been to an introduction ceremony, uh, which is really more or less an engagement a party for a couple that's going to get wedded soon. We've had a great time with our visitors. May God bless you. Very cool. And Scott wanted you to know that's not what he normally wears. Uh, just that African wedding ceremonies, he, he wears that. But it's been awesome. And, and one of the neat things is this morning where they were as a team, they've been a part of training pastors, leading leaders, leading church planners. And this morning where they were, um, they were at a church that, that means a lot to me. Now, I've never met these brothers, I've not been to Africa. I've not been with Cyprian and all of his churches. Um, but really what God's doing in Uganda is he's creating living stones. That's what God's inviting us into today in First Peter. First Peter chapter 1 was living hope. Chapter 2 is living stones that he's gathered us. And these brothers and sisters in Uganda, they mean something to my family. And this is what I mean. About seven years ago, many of you guys know the journey I went on with, with my son. Diagnosed with cancer at the age of two bone marrow transplant, relapse, the the whole work. And there was one critical day in the hospital, and I remember writing this blog, saying, guys, Friday's coming, and Friday's a big day, and we were kind of touch and go with him at one point, and and we were a little nervous and a little anxious about what was going to be for us that Friday, what God was inviting us into. We were praying that prayer even back then as a family. And I got this email from Cyprian as he was in this village that they were in this morning, worshiping this morning, vintage grace in this village in Africa, and it was this beautiful email. And it said this, Brother Drew, because everybody's brothers, and brothers don't shake hands, brothers got a hug, right? They said, Brother Drew, I just want you to know, you know that Friday's coming, we know that Friday's coming, but where we live, Friday's already done, and you've been prayed for all day. (laughs) That's living stones. That's what living hope looks like. When you have nothing, and Jesus is everything, you live radically transformed lives. And here's what we're going to see in the text this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2. Jesus is our living hope, not virtual hope, not fake hope. That would be just being a mean, mean trick, right? Virtual hope. He's living hope. And he's gathered us now to be living stones. In fact, here's the summary saying for this morning, if you want to follow along in your worship folder. Last week, Peter reminded the scattered saints. Remember, they have nothing. They're scattered. They've lost their physical inheritance. They've given it up. They haven't lost it. They gave it away. They said it doesn't matter. 
Following Jesus is what matters. He writes to the scattered saints that they are chosen, born again, loved children of the king, which comes with an eternal inheritance, far better than anything that this world has to offer. And that leads to what, church? Inexpressible joy. (laughs) What does it lead to? It leads to getting news on Friday when it feels like your son's sick and the world is falling apart. It leads to this reminder that God is a good, good father, that he's in control, that his better is better, that Christ is enough. And that makes us what? It makes us happy. Uncontrollable, inexpressible. I can't communicate what it meant when the church of God that I knew nothing about in this little village in Uganda said, Drew, the living hope is Jesus and he has you covered today. That's what God's called us to be as a church. Our time, treasure, and talent is not our own. It's stuff that God has entrusted us with. That's the living hope. That you can take all that away and it doesn't matter, but God, I have Jesus. And here's what I love. God is so good. Is this personal call amazing? Is this personal relationship that God the Father has invited us in as his children, as his sons and daughters, is this a good gift? And what I love is last week he said, but you may be suffering trials for a while if necessary by me. Trust me. Trust my sovereignty. Trust my control. Trust my intentions are good. But trust me. And here's what I love about God. He's so good to us on the personal call, but he also gives us a corporate call. He puts us in community. He doesn't let us go through trials alone. No, he walks with us. And even beyond that, he puts us in the context of community, like my friends in Africa and my family here at Vintage. And this is what this week's gonna be. He, Peter, then invites us into this communal calling of the church. This isn't just an individual calling of being a joy-filled individual. No, 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 we wanna build what? Joy-filled communities. This communal living, to be living stones that are gathered and built up to proclaim the glory of God. I went in my closet this morning at all the different jerseys, because really what this conversation's about this morning, this is a front of the jersey conversation. It's about the 49ers who happen to be in first place. Can I get an amen? (laughs) It's about the 49ers. And on the back of the jersey, it might say Sodastrom, but it's about the front of the jersey, The front of the jersey and the focus of being the family of God, of being on his team, that he's called us, that he's chosen us to run hard after him and to trust him in all circumstances. And now he's gathered us as family to walk through this journey together. You are not alone. Don't come to Vintage Grace. Be a part of the family of God at Vintage Grace. Those are very different things. Don't slide in late and leave early. You wait. My best sermons come at the benediction. Guys, this is the invitation of the Father saying, I don't want you to live alone. I designed you for community, your time, treasure, talent, and your trials. If you don't live in communities, you're going through trials, you're robbing somebody of the joy of coming alongside you and being the living proof of loving God. But God has brought us together to be his family, to be his team. If you have your text, open it up. Devices, 1 Peter chapter 2. Here's where we're going. Because God has called us to brotherly love, deep love, rich love, and then he's placed us together to live life together. And here's what Peter says, chapter two, verse one. So put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Here's what he's saying. Get rid of the rubbish in your life that's hurting the team. He doesn't go to pornography or lust or those areas of sin. Are those sins that we should be done with, church? 
Okay, all the ladies said yes. Men, are those sins that we should be done with? Men, are those sins that we should be done with? Okay. But notice what he's saying to get rid of. He's saying get rid of things that hurt the team. Get rid of things that hurt the family of God like hypocrisy, slander, lying, gossip, deceit. Don't come across as if you're better than you are. I joke about this all the time. We already know that you're screwed up. That's not a joke. I am. I expect that you are too. I don't accept it. God loves us as we are where we are, but he loves us so much. He puts us in the context of the community to take us somewhere else. So he says, church, you scattered church that are living in house churches, put away all the stuff that's hurting the team. Stop caring about the back of the jersey and focus on the front. Focus on what matters most. And so be like newborn infants who long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up in salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For as it says in scripture, behold, this is Isaiah, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now, now you have received mercy. So beloved, I urge you as sojourners, travelers, and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they might see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Church, would you pray with me? Father God, I believe that the day of visitation is coming for all of us. There's a day that I believe that Jesus, you're coming back again to rescue us and redeem us from this world that we're exiled in right now. This world where we get confused and we think that the the back of the jersey is more important than the front, and yet, God, you called us your children. So speak to us right now, Father. Show us who you are. Show us in your wisdom, your plan, not just to leave us, but to love us and to make us more like you. So I pray, Father God, that you would protect us, that you would protect my words from anything you don't want me to say, and rather that you, Spirit, would speak to us as you spoke through Peter to the scattered church. Increase our confidence in you for your glory and for our joy. And everybody said, amen. First Peter chapter 2. Here's what Peter's inviting us into. Here's the bottom line. It's game time. And by game time, I don't mean a video game. I don't mean playing Pebble Beach. No one invited me this week. I'm wondering what's going on, church. I don't mean pretending to be in the game and expecting that a video game would substitute for the real thing. But if you notice that not only are we at a unique time as a church, but we're at an extremely unique time as a country in our world. Do you feel that? Again, I used to say for years, there's no way Jesus would come back in my lifetime because there's way too much work to do. I've said that for years. For the first time in my life, I've started to say, I don't know. 
I just don't know. Now, the reality was I didn't know then either. I was just trying to say there's just a lot of work to do. But the point is it's game time. And I feel like as Peter writes the early church, there's a profound impact on us today too. Because here's the point, it's game time. And here's the two things Peter's gonna say. The first one is this, it's time to grow up. It's time to stop messing around. It's time to stop doing virtual faith and pretending like it's the real thing. And it's time to grow up. Did you see that in the text this morning? First Peter chapter two, verse two, he says this, like newborn infants. You ever been around a newborn infant when it's feeding time? What do they do? What do they do? I mean, they wail, they cry. Now, here's the reality, guys. You'd think it gets better as they get older, but have you seen an adult hangry? What do they do? Right? They wail and they cry. Here's the point that Peter makes. A newborn infant, have you ever watched them when it's feeding time and, and, and you're holding them? Now, I as a male have no ability to actually help my babies when they were nursing. But what do they do when daddy's holding them? Right? Right? Was that inappropriate? I'm sorry, my sister-in-law is bright red. But here's the point that Peter's making. They're hungry. They're looking for food. In fact, he says this, they are longing for pure spiritual milk. They're longing for the real thing. Where is the wisdom and the truth of our day, guys? It's not the Wall Street Journal. It's not Yahoo. It's right here. This is why we teach the way that we teach. This is why we do life groups the way that we do because we wanna create self-feeders. People who feed themselves. People who long for pure spiritual milk, not for the rhetoric or the wisdom of today because that wisdom will fail and will leave us in more issues than we begin. But Peter says this, like newborn infants who long for pure spiritual milk, that by it, that by the word, the word is what he said last week, you love. You love the word of God because it never fails and it doesn't return void. You love the word because it's constant and it's true. By the word, you will grow up into salvation. Church, if we're not opening our word, then we're not gonna grow up. Sunday mornings are great. I love Sunday mornings. But Tuesday nights in life group are more important at times. Because then we're parsing the words and we're trying to say, God, what are you saying to me? Author's intent, logic and flow, their town. And then eventually, what does it mean to me today as a dad and a husband? What does it look like? He says, brothers, sisters, long for this pure spiritual milk. That's what's gonna lead you into salvation because Jesus is leading us. He's showing us and he gave us a manual to know and to follow if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. See, sometimes I'm convinced we go to church because it's just what we do. Don't ask me why I do it. It's just what we do. Here's my prayer for you. I hope it's because it's making you happier. I was because you're finding more joy in Jesus by being in community and by being in the word and by spending time saying, God, speak to me so that I don't run off on my own. But he says this, if you've tasted the Lord is good, you're gonna look like that pure spiritual milk longer. You're gonna look like someone that wants it, that craves it, that's running hard after God. You're gonna find yourself not satisfied with the things of this world as much as you used to be. You're gonna find yourself saying, that doesn't make me happy. I want more. I'm, I'm looking for something that's actually gonna sustain if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Now, when we have a baby around here at Vintage Grace, which by the way, church, I've already told you, we, Jen and I, are done. So, surgically. So, barring miraculous work, which could happen, right? Like, we're done having kids, but we wanna build more joyful communities of faith, which means what? We got work to do, right? 
And, and having babies one way, and we put a rose on the front of the stage every single time a baby's born. And, and, and if you're new around here, let us know that you're pregnant because us men, we are naive and we don't recognize. And if you ever ask someone if they're pregnant and they're not pregnant, no good. So we don't assume anything. But let us know. And when a baby's born, we put a rose on the stage. And it's not just because we want to say, hey, Grace, great job. Right? Because if it's in the worst floor, Grace had a baby. This is for Grace and your guys' life group. Right? But, but here's the point of the rose on the stage. Often I think in Peter's day and even in our day at Vintage Grace, we think that having a child is a personal thing. Maybe dad and mom. And, and, and in Peter's day and age, I don't think they had like the OR room. Right? It was a corporate thing. This whole idea of baby dedications, which is really at Vintage Grace, it's more of a family dedication. It's more of a parent dedication. It's more of a church dedication. It's us as a church saying, we want to help you raise your children to fall more in love with Jesus. We want to point them towards him because he's the only one that's going to make them satisfied. There wasn't like the, well, I'm signing up, and it wasn't mother-in-law versus mom saying, who gets to be in the OR room or who gets to be in the labor and delivery room? No, no, no. Having kids is a family affair. We're all involved. We all have a role. And in our spiritual process of growing up, that's true here too. God has called us as the church to be together and to encourage each other. Ever days you wake up and you don't want to read the Bible? Ever? That's why it's helpful sometimes to have an alarm set. That's why it's helpful sometimes to have life group. That's why it's helpful sometimes to say, hey, do that whole spiritual journey thing with your spouse. Don't do it separate from them. Do it together. Say, uh, what are you reading today? I'm not saying you have to read the same verse at the same time. I'm just saying, have that conversation. That's what matters most. Have the love and the support of a community running after God together. The time to grow up is not just a, can a baby help himself grow up? What does a baby do to help himself grow up? Who helps the baby grow up? Those around him. The mom, the dad, the family. Church, we're here together to help each other grow up, to not live alone, to do this thing together. So Peter says it's game time and it's time to grow up. And this is what I love. Here's what Peter does. In all brilliance, he points us towards the example that God's given us, who's Jesus. Peter then says, you want to know what it looks like to grow up? You want to know what it looks like to have perfect relationship with the father? Look at the son. Look at Jesus. And as you come to him, that's a continual pursuit of Jesus. That wasn't a one-time Sunday morning at 9 a.m., That's a daily coming to Jesus. That's a Lord, wake me up in the morning with a craving for your word. Help me to pray without ceasing constantly, Lord, what are you inviting me into? As you come to Jesus, that's not a one-time thing. That's a continual thing. And I kind of feel like Jesus is like the player coach. You know, God is the head coach. He's sitting in the booth. He's seeing everything. He's interacting with us. He knows what's going on. But I do feel like Jesus is the ultimate player coach, that he lived showing us what it looked like to be dependent upon the head coach, but that he also lived in such a way modeling for us. What's it look like? So Peter says, hey, you want to know what it looks like to grow up and to get in the game? Let's look at what Jesus did. As you come to Jesus, Jesus is a living stone, not a dead stone. He's alive. The cross is empty. He's a living stone who was chosen and what, church? Precious. Now, Lord of the Rings ruined that word for me. Maybe you too. (laughs) But Peter used that word a lot. This precious, this thing of, of, of value, of extreme value. And that's who Jesus is. The Father gave him to us. He was chosen. He was the Son. And he was precious. In fact, in a couple of verses we skip forward, it says, and it says in Scripture, Isaiah 
Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, who is what? Chosen and precious. Guys, often I feel like one of the greatest attacks that Satan at least uses against me is to worship my kids. Why? Because there's something really special about being my child to me. You're precious. You're chosen. The same thing for God the Father. You are chosen and you are precious. God's son, his only one, Jesus was given to you and me. Chosen and precious to be the cornerstone. And as he comes, here's the reality. The stone, Jesus, that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone, Jesus, which was given to us. And how many of you guys are builders out there? I met one this morning. I'm always amazed the amount of builders out there. I am not. I am what you call incompetent. Don't give me a hammer unless we're doing demo. And even then, I will find a way to ruin it. Jeff Bagley said, yeah. But when you're building, often you start with the cornerstone and that's what sets the alignment for everything else, right? You place the one and everything builds on top of that. God gave us Jesus' son so that we might see how we can live in alignment with the father. He's the cornerstone. But here's the reality. Jesus came and by most was what? And if we ever forget that, it's the cross. Is there any greater form of rejection than crucifixion? I mean, anything. Not only did they not accept him, they rejected him and they crucified him for being who he came to be. And I think there's moments, even for these Gentile believers that are reading in in 1 Peter here, because Peter's writing to the scattered church. I think there's Gentile believers here that are like, wait, 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 can I trust God the Father if the Jewish people who he chose and elected, they're the ones that killed him. And how cool is it to actually listen to a coach and be led by a father that actually knows everything? I've heard Christians say at times, if God was calling an audible with Jesus on the cross, why did Jesus go to the cross? You want to get deep church. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Because the answer that many of us will say is to save me, right? Saves from our sins. It's not a bad answer. I just don't think it's the supreme answer. It's the right answer because most of you just said it. I'm not trying to beat you up. Jesus went to the cross because God said so and God's glory was at stake. Whose fault is it that Jesus went to the cross? Because I think there's moments that we say things like, oh, I did it, I did it. Who put Jesus on the cross? God. God put Jesus on the cross. So don't hear me diminish the human responsibility. The builders rejected the cornerstone, absolutely. But that wasn't a plan that God wasn't ready for. No, read the text that says this, this stone Jesus. I mean, again, we've got this thing here. We keep kind of run into it, right? This stone Jesus was actually a stone of stumbling. As we, we laid the stone and it was a stone of stumbling for some. It was supposed to be the cornerstone to build the church. But for some people in God's plan, it was a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And they stumble. Why? Because they disobey the word. Those did not believe. Does that sound like anyone in this room? Because I think sometimes we read the text and we think of other people when Peter's intent is for us to think about us. We disobeyed the word. We at times rejected the cornerstone. We at times said that our better is better. Have we not done that? Every single one of us. We've put our agenda before God's. We haven't trusted his best is best. And we haven't really leaned into the good father. And as a result of that, Jesus says, look, your destiny that you've chosen is rejection, separation, and hell. 
It will be a rock of stumbling. But don't miss the contrast that Peter's laying for us. But whoever believes in him, same verse. Peter's just saying, for some people, Jesus is this, but for others, and what's the key marker between those of us who do and those of us who don't? What's the key word there? Do you see it? Believe. But for those of you who believe in him will not be put to shame. Honor is for you who believe. Church, we've been given this incredible gift, and that is to trust that his better is better, to believe in him to have our living hope be in him and not in ourselves. And that's part of the gift of trial. That's part of the gift of tragedy is, is God says, is this what really is gonna make you happy? If you just change the circumstances, will this make everything better? And the answer is no, only Jesus. And for those of you who believe, here's what Jesus is doing. Go back to verse four and five. As you come to him who was a living stone, he makes you like living stones. You're being built up to be a spiritual house. You're not fake stones. He's given you real life. I am convinced that for many of us, we can live in this virtual fake world and actually miss out on being a living stone. Living hope, living stones. And now God has gathered us as the saints to do that together. And I love this. We're being built up as a spiritual house. It's almost like Peter is taking us away from the first metaphor, a family of God. And now he's taking us into a new metaphor of a spiritual house. Now, how many of us have find too much value in our homes? Anybody? Come on, you liars. What is going on today? Right? Even it's like, hey, can someone come over? No, the home's not ready. We, We might find a little too much value in our homes. Here's what I love. These are people who are exiles. They don't have homes. They don't have an inheritance. They don't have their land. Remember who Peter's writing to? Exiled saints. And here's what he tells them. You might not have a physical home, but you know what God's doing? He's giving you a spiritual one. That's going to be way more important. He's not just giving you a, a, a physical presence. He's giving you the presence of, of God, living stones being built up to be a spiritual house. And I am convinced when they read this letter and they go, man, I haven't had a home for years. I gave it up when I decided to follow Jesus. Here's what he tells the saints. He says, you're going to get a home. And it's going to be way better than anything you ever imagined. He's going to give you this spiritual house and you're going to be a holy priesthood. And that holy priesthood is not just building walls. We're going to build spiritual walls, but make no mistake, who's the piece? Who's the two by four? That's me. Spiritual walls, spiritual household that he is erecting and bring us together for his glory, not for ours. And because we're not just walls, we're also a holy priesthood because priests have actions. We have things that God is calling us into relationships. And the role of the priest was to offer spiritual sacrifices to God that would be acceptable to Jesus. And that's a role that now God has given all of us. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. You are all pastors and you are all missionaries. You are all leaders. You are all leading someone somewhere. The question is where? God has called us to be living stones, a holy priesthood that offers spiritual sacrifices to himself through Jesus. That's the calling that you and I have. And let's remember the author of this letter, Peter. You guys remember what Peter means? Rock. Peter was the one that Jesus came and said, I'm gonna build my church upon you. Peter knows what it's like to be as dumb as a stone, does he not? I mean, I love this picture. God's like, I'm gonna make you living stones. Do stones live? It's not a trick question. Do stones live? Do they talk? And Sophia the first they do, if you ever watch my kids' TV shows. But living stones, 
God has invited us into. And this is what I love. Peter's writing this metaphor. Peter's writing this. The Spirit's inspiring it. I don't doubt that at all. But Peter's saying this. Guys, as living stones, no stone looks another stone and goes, I'm a good stone. One guy goes, I'm a rolling stone. The other guy goes, no, I'm a square stone. It doesn't matter. They're living stones because God made them alive. And he gave them a role and he gave them a purpose and he's building them up. Peter knows this isn't a personal calling, but it's a corporate one. It's a corporate calling. He doesn't say, so I'm gonna make you a chosen person or a royal priest or a holy individual. No, what does he say? Priesthood, nation, race. He's gathered us because the church is not supposed to be on their own. We're much more pretty together. We're beautiful, God says. I'm building you up to be a spiritual household. And it was something that we said as a church early on. We built this in one of our very first series. And we asked you guys to get random planks of wood and come together and and put them in. You see different shapes and different sizes. and, And this one's a wreck. It's the only one that really doesn't fit. But this is the beauty of the spiritual house that God's put us together. And I would encourage you. This is from like a year and a half ago. So if your name's not on here, I got Sharpies. You're welcome to come put your name on here. But what God's doing at Vintage Grace is he's building a spiritual house. Not a physical house. Our residence is not Marina and our residence is not Lassen Lane. Where's our residence? Okay, so that scared the crud out of me. I take back everything I said before, how much I love you and I'm proud of you. Our residence is not Marina. Our residence is not in Barcadero by the saloon. And our residence is not Lassen Lane. Where is our residence, church? Heaven. That's our residence. But until he takes us home, we're exiles gathered together. And God's going to make us beautiful. God's going to take our wretchedness, our stuff that doesn't fit. He's going to take your mistakes and my mistakes. And he's the one that reclaims those and redeems those and purifies those through the cross and the work of the spirit. And he makes us new. And there's something really beautiful about screwed up saints coming together to worship a perfect savior. Amen. Amen. That's vintage. That's what we are as a church. A chosen race, the holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. God made lots of things in the world. I'm pretty confident based on this love letter that we call the Bible, his favorite is you and me. Grand Canyon, it's cool. Doesn't come close to you and me. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. You are his chosen possession. You are precious, you are cared for, you are his a people of his own possession, and he gave us a purpose statement as a people of God together. How many of you guys are struggling with the purpose of life? Anybody? It's right here. Here's the purpose, because I think Satan's good. We get confused in the empire. The purpose was about marriage, and the purpose was about kids, and the purpose was about the house. No, it wasn't. You want to know the purpose of God? Why he made you to be a people of his own possession? Do you see it? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him. How excellent is God on a scale of one to 10? Yeah, no one's brave enough to answer infinity. <laughs> There's no answer, right? It's what we call heaven. This is what heaven's gonna be like. Here's where I wonder sometimes Christians that are like, oh, I hate this world, I can't wait for heaven. And I'm convinced they don't actually love Jesus. Because you know what heaven's gonna be? Heaven's gonna be a massive party celebrating Jesus. That's what it's gonna be proclaiming the excellencies of God and how eternal are his excellencies. On and on and on. That's why there's no end to heaven. The eternal excellencies of him. That's what we've done as a church. We gather to tell each other and to remind each other that God is great. That nobody is greater. 
And that's what heaven will be. So if you don't believe there's more joy in Jesus, here's my promise to you. You actually won't have fun in heaven. You won't. Because heaven's not the 49ers winning every week. That's impossible and heaven's real, right? (laughs) But heaven is proclaiming the excellencies of God forever and ever and ever. And he is that cool. He's that cool. And God has built us as a spiritual house to proclaim the excellence. And this is what I love. Peter gives us just a little taste of what he means by how excellent God is. God is the one who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Remember the garden? In the beginning, there was darkness. And then God said, let there be light. And then we as the church have filled our life with darkness. Have we not? As saints, we've gone back to things that we think will make us happy. We've gone back to things and settled for lesser joys. We've created ourselves to be our own idol and our own God. But God calls us out of the darkness and puts us into light. Once you were not a people, but God, now you what? Are a people. I think this is a picture of Hosea. It's that same language. Hosea and Gomer, remember Easter a couple years ago? This picture of, of God coming as the bridegroom and saying, you're mine, I love you. And the prostitute playing the whore and running away from God and choosing lesser joys and selling herself looking for love and affection and admiration when God the Father sends the Son to say, I'm here for you because my love is fierce, because I love you. And we look at our lives. There was a time we weren't a people of God, that we kept running away, that we literally played the whore. And what's the big word right there? But God. But God said, no, you're my people. You can run as much as you want. I'll find you. I'm faster. The third example Peter gives is this. Once you had not received mercy, oh, I love this word, church. What is it? But God, but God says, now you have received mercy. It reminds me of the prodigal. We're gonna get there in Luke chapter 15 at some point and and this beautiful picture of the prodigal son that said, give me my inheritance now, remember? And God gives him the inheritance and he goes off and he squanders in all the things that he thinks will make him happy and they don't. And the prodigal looks at his life when he's laying in a pig trough, right? And he looks at his life and he simply says this, man, it'd be better if I was my father's what? Slave. He goes, I know I've given up the back name on the jersey. I I just want to go back and be on the front. I want to be the water boy. That's what the prodigal says. And God allowed the prodigal, I believe in the story, to not actually instantly be redeemed. He had to come to a point in his life where he recognized that he was the one that put himself there. It would have been way better to just trust God at home. But God allowed him to experience a time in his life where he didn't receive mercy. Do you see that? That God's grace was actually the trial that he allowed the prodigal? that God allows the son to get to the point where he's at his low and he says, man, God, I just need mercy. What's mercy? Not receiving what you do deserve. So he goes back to the father and says, hey, can I just be your servant? Can I be your water boy? Can I be your slave? And father goes, welcome home. Once you were in darkness, now you're in light. Once you weren't my people, now you're my people. Once you squandered all your inheritance and I let you live without mercy for a moment because then when I gave you mercy, what would you finally understand? How great is our God? How great is our God? And just like Newton's third law simply says this, for every action, right? There's an equal and greater one. And when you kind of experience that, the greatness of God, which comes upon us, 
that leads to an eternal life of being a spiritual stone built up for his glory. And this is why I love the church. This is what it looks like. It looks like a bunch of people who have lived in darkness, who have settled for less, who have bought the lie of Satan that money would make me happy or that woman would make me happy or that guy would make me happy. And we finally understand that God created us to be happy, but we're only gonna find it in him. And then he gathers the saints together and he says, you're not on this journey by yourself. You're an experienced temptation. You don't wanna go back. Fight for that because God is doing a work and he's building you up to be a spiritual household that's gonna be incredible. Your sin, if you're a part of Vintage Grace, is not just your sin, it's my sin. Church, we take that seriously. Our lackadaisical attitude with the mercy of God and the grace of God, that's not just your sin, that's our sin because God has put us in a spiritual household and here's the point of the spiritual house of God. What's our call, church? To do what? To proclaim the excellencies of him. That's why we're here. That's our purpose statement in life. That's our purpose statement as a church. And you guys, I I love the whole, you wanna find your purpose in life. You wanna find your sweet spot. But here's my promise. If you're running after God, it's gonna be no different than my purpose in life, which is what? Proclaim the excellencies of him. Now you might do that as a mom and you might do that as a masseuse and you might do that as a manicurist. I'm running out of M words. But the point is this, all of us are in this journey together to proclaim the excellencies of God. And here's what I found at Vintage Grace. We actually do that better together. Because when it's about us, we make it about us and then we've lost. (laughs) When it's about God, then we can go on and on and on proclaiming his excellencies. It was the purpose of the Old Testament saints. It was the purpose of the Jews that God gathered them to reflect his glory. How many of you guys saw the moon Friday night? Anybody? Was it beautiful or what? It was the harvest moon, which I think is appropriate as we talk about multiply, that we're here to harvest that God has put us to proclaim the excellencies as sojourners and exiles. Is there a war for your soul right now? Don't miss it. Don't be naive. Don't live in a virtual world. There's a war for your soul. It's why we're a battleship and not a cruise ship. And people are watching, so keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you, because they will, church, don't be surprised when someone attacks you. But remember, you're a saint and a child of God. Now, first of all, don't give them a reason to attack you. Can we deal with that another Sunday? But right now, when they attack, just recognize There's no disease in a morgue, Martin Lloyd-Jones says. There's disease in healthy, live beings, and Satan doesn't want that for you or for us. But as they attack you, may they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day when he returns. Living proof of a loving God. That harvest moon made me picture this week, Friday, what it's like for us to proclaim the excellencies. Because you guys know You learned this in fourth grade, and if you didn't, don't worry, you'll get a kid someday that'll go in fourth grade, and you'll learn it again, because that's what child-rearing is, going to school again. (laughs) But the moon doesn't shine light. You know that? The moon doesn't shine light. What does the moon do? Reflects light. 
Guys, we lived in darkness. We weren't a people, but God sent his son, made us a people, built a bus in a spiritual house so that we might reflect the light of the sun. Amen? That's your calling. That's your purpose. How you do that, that's the joy of figuring that out in life group and with your family and with your friends. That's the joy of praying the prayer, God, what are you inviting me into today? How might I reflect your light? And as the harvest moon shines this fall, May we remember that we are called to reflect and proclaim the excellencies of him who called us. Father God, we come before you as a church, a spiritual house. Protect us from ever losing sight of what matters most. Help us to understand what you've called us to. You have not called us as a church to do renovations on a piece of property. What a waste but that you, Jesus, have done renovations on our heart, that you've taken residence, that you've built us up to be a a spiritual house, redeemed and reclaimed for your purposes to proclaim your excellencies. So Father God, right now, we reflect on what you've done, on who you are, how you've called us, how you've created us, and how you've placed us to be the living proof of a loving God. God, speak to us through this song, I pray.